Welcome back to Then Again with the Northeast Georgia History Center. This is Marie Bartlett, and I am the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today we have a special guest with us. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, hi, I'm Jordan Kofer. I am a professor of English and also associate provost at Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. So could you introduce us to Flannery O'Connor? Sure, certainly. So Flannery O'Connor is probably Georgia's most famous uh, writer, or at least one of them. And she was born in Savannah, grew up in uh, in downtown Savannah, Lafayette Square, and uh, was part of the Catholic Square until she was about 11. Her dad suffered from lupus and they needed to move for his treatment. They moved to uh, Atlanta. She was he was a hospital in Atlanta. Flannery and her mother Regina ended up, you know, staying with Regina's side of the family and uh, Regina's brother, staying at, in Milledgeville, Georgia during these times. She was in Atlanta very briefly. So at one point, her and James Dickey were actually in the same high school together. I don't think they knew each other, and but you know, she spent most of her high school, and then she uh, attended college at Georgia College. And then she did go to the University of Iowa, the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is the most famous creative writing program. And it was a, a new program at that time. She went there for to study creative writing and then spent a brief time. She, she got a fellowship where she was in New York, a writer's colony called Yaddo. And then through there, she she lived with some uh, some people she met in the the Fitzgeralds in Connecticut for for a, a few months, not long. And she, like her father, had lupus, and that forced her to return back to Georgia. And she spent the rest of her life in Georgia. So she was thirty nine at the time. So she was born in twenty five and and died in in nineteen sixty four, and spent most of her life in living in Georgia. That was an incredible overview of Flannery O'Connor's life. So now we'll, we'll dig into the details a little bit more. Absolutely. So could, so could you tell us about Wise Blood, her first novel, which was published in 1952? Yeah, certainly. Wise Blood is a really interesting novel. It's actually my favorite thing that she wrote. And it's got a, a really interesting kind of publication history. But first of all, is the fact that she wrote it, you know, she starts writing it she's fairly young. She's about 20, 21 when she starts writing it. At Georgia College, we're lucky to have a lot of the drafts in the archives. So, you know, when you're when you're able to look at, at kind of the stages and the drafts, it's very interesting how much that novel changes. So she was working on it while she was at the University of Iowa, and then a little bit at the Fitzgerald's house. And that's where it ends up making, she makes some substantial changes and then comes back to Georgia and finishes it. When it gets published, what what's funny is Georgia College at the time in Milledgeville, they hosted a book signing party for her and her cousin bought copies for a lot of their family, had bought copies for the priest, had, had sent it out to a, a lot of folks in the Catholic community. And then, you know, there's a lot of uh, grotesque things that happen in that book. There's, you know, a murder, uh, Hazel Motes, you know, starts the church without Christ. 
he sleeps with a prostitute. So, so according to one of her cousins, they said, you know, that the family was scandalized and that they never hosted another uh, a book signing party for her, you know, in Milledgeville again. And even I think it's in the um, the Atlanta Journal, the original book review for it says something like, you know, I can't wait till she writes, you know, about nice people or, you know, something to that effect. So it was really funny. But, you know, in terms of a first novel, it got some some really good kind of key reviews and it got a lot of kind of national attention. She actually got the book contract while she was in grad school, while she was at University of Iowa. She was selected for this, for a contract. You know, they, they basically had to submit their stories in like a contest and then the winner would get a book contract. And, and so, you know, she got that contract, but it, she did, it, it did get her a lot of kind of national attention and it led to her being taken pretty seriously as a writer just from, you know, very early age. Now, you mentioned Yado, and this is an interesting displace. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this writing colony called Yado and O'Connor's time there? Yeah, so Yado is a, a writer's colony in upstate New York. I mean, we have a lot of her letters from there. What's kind of interesting is O'Connor was kind of sheltered. She had lived a lot of, spent a lot of time with her mom. When she left Iowa for the first time, for instance, like one thing that that we like to laugh about is she would write her mom letters every day. And she wrote, she wanted mayonnaise. Um, She wanted her mom's homemade mayonnaise. And for like a week, she asks every single day. And so her and her mom had like, you know, a really close relationship. When she got to Yotto, you know, I think there were a lot of writers up there that were that, you know, that were having a good time. And 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 so that was kind of a, a shock to her uh, at first. And but, you know, she she made some friends there. And, I you know, a lot of people think that if she hadn't gotten lupus, that she would have maybe stayed in in the Northeast, uh, maybe stayed with some of the friends she met and stayed in New York City. But, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll never know because her, her illness forced her to, to move back in with her mom. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about her family struggle with lupus? Because it wasn't just her. You also mentioned her father died of lupus. Yeah, yeah. So her father, uh, Edmund, is kind of an interesting figure. He, had, he was a, a veteran of World War I. And was, you know, by all accounts, like a really charismatic guy, had gotten into some real estate dealings and trying to start business and had lost money. So it wasn't really good with money, but he was, you know, really kind of likable figure and, and was really involved kind of in a lot of civic societies. But yeah, what, you know, it, it lupus seemed to run on her, her father's side. So once he got it, o- O'Connor was, she started getting sick. I think even while she was at Iowa and her mom told her that it was rheumatoid arthritis and, and actually kind of held the diagnosis from Flannery. And it was actually her friend, Sally Fitzgerald, who eventually told her, yes, it was, it was lupus. So she, you know, she didn't learn from her mom. She learned from a good friend. And so 
I think it was about 52 when she moved back to Milledgeville permanently. And she, she was very, but while she was living with her mom, she was very dedicated uh, to writing. She would get up early, spend you know, every morning writing and was just extremely disciplined. Uh, you've also mentioned a little bit about how they're very much a part of the Catholic community that's here in Georgia. So can you talk to us a little bit about her Roman Catholic identity, how that influenced her writing? And then what was it like being a Roman Catholic in the Bible Belt Protestant South? <laughs> yeah, so she writes a lot about that. In fact, that shapes a lot of her writing and a lot of her identity. So you know, they lived in, when when she lived in Savannah, they lived in Lafayette Square, which uh, at the time was known as like the Catholic Square. That was where a lot of the Catholic community was. But then when she moved to Milledgeville, it's a very Protestant area. There is Sacred Heart Church downtown. So she would go to Mass almost daily. She would go Bible to Bible study. She was very, her and her mom were very involved. Um, in the Catholic community in in Milledgeville. But she even said, you know, that, you know, talking about her first novel, Wiseblood, she calls Hazel Motes a, a Protestant saint. And she said, you know, only a Catholic writer would be able to, to write about him. So, you know, she really thought, and she says, that, you know, kind of in different ways and in different places in her letters and essays and some of her talks, that being Catholic gave her a lot of insight into living in the Protestant South. She was very intrigued by some of the, the you know, holiness that she found. There was a, a man named Charles Chesney, I, I believe is his name, uh, but they called him at the time the Goat Man, and he was a preacher that had this like sled you can google it but he had this sled and it was pulled by goats and he would come into these towns and give give these sermons and sell postcards and you could come you know see him see his goats and all you know when i talk to people especially milledgeville uh, resident longtime residents they remember him and they remember the goat man and o'connor wrote about him she wrote about a lot of these eccentric characters that she would meet and and run into she was just very fascinated by it. And, and so I think a lot of that makes its way into her fiction. I mean, a, a sled pulled by goats sounds incredibly fascinating. I thought that would it, stick out to me. It is. <laughs> the, sure. the, the pictures are hilarious. <laughs> so in Milledgeville, that she lived at her family home, Andalusia. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of Andalusia and the O'Connor's relationship there, especially her relationship to her family and her mother. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It was purchased by her uncle, Louis Klein. And originally he was using it, I think, as a, like a kind of a hunting property, kind of a you know getaway. And that's where you know Flannery and, and Regina had moved into. She names it Andalusia. Largely, I think, you know, we're not really certain. I think she just liked that, you know. <laughs> Town in Spain, she she just felt like that was kind of a grandiose name and proper for it. So the property wasn't named Andalusia beforehand, and it doesn't have a, a connection to Spain. But you know, she just kind of uh, really thought that it fit. And it was a working farm, you know, a working dairy farm when she was here, and also uh, Regina sold off 
some of the timber uh, for it. And the interesting thing is that when they moved here, you know, it was Flannery and Regina, and they didn't have any kind of background in farming. And so, you know, a lot of times we think about Flannery and sort of these strong characters in her fiction, but but her mom was a really strong figure as well, you know, being a, a female farm manager, you know, without any experience, but then ran the place and, and was successful. And they actually, you know, there was one of Flannery O'Connor's stories is called The Displaced Person. And it's about some war refugees from World War II that come in and, and live on a farm as kind of tenant farmers. And and they did that through the Catholic Church. They they brought in family from Poland that had been displaced by World War II. So it's 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 really interesting if you come and see Andalusia, you can see you know it, it really does factor into a lot of her stories. There's a, a story called the Circle and the Fire, and and it you know the descriptions of the farm definitely feel like Andalusia, you know. So I love walking around on the property because you just feel like you're you know a part of those stories. There's a barn there that was you know used for for milking cows and. It's exactly the barn that she describes in her story, Good Country People. So I always you know, really enjoy that and you know, seeing how it matches up with those descriptions. But the farm is run by Georgia College. So it is run by our museum and, and actually just received historic status as, uh, from the Smithsonian. So it's, you know, that's, that's really exciting for us. That's incredibly exciting. All right. So. O'Connor's work was written during a time of of great social change in the South in the 50s, primarily, when the civil rights and desegregation were changing the relationships between white people and black people and just Southern society. So O'Connor's work never specifically focuses on these relationships, but of course it had to affect her and her family. So can you give us a little bit of background into that? Yeah, definitely. I think O'Connor her views on sort of how the uh, social change really seemed to evolve in her. She has some of her juvenilia. There's a story called The Barber that's about kind of a, a political argument at a barber shop. And, you know, it just, it seems, it seems so simple, the, you know, the story itself. And so you definitely see, Oh, more complexity. I think um, she really tried, you know, at one point in one of her letters, she, she said she was talking about, I think the gubernatorial race and she said, you know, pox on both their houses. And so I think she was trying to kind of highlight, you know, some of the farcical nature on both sides. But I do think, you know, she was really starting to progress as she, as she, you know, kept writing her last unfinished novel it's kind of interesting because it was it's set at Koinonia essentially, like it, it started out at Koinonia, which is near Plains, um, which was you know it was very much like a social justice type movement with uh, another writer named Clarence Jordan that was a part of that, and so you know Connor seemed to be really interested on what was going on over there. Unfortunately, we don't. The novel was so, it was still so early on in the process that it's hard to really see where it was going. Um, so it's, it's hard to draw a whole lot of 
conclusions, but the fact that she was even like, she was really attracted to what was happening there, I think says something about, you know, being really attuned to, you know, a lot of the social change that she was a part of, you know, she dies in 64, um, right when I think the civil rights movement is really ramping up. So it would be really interesting to see, you know, how that influenced her fiction and sort of what she would say about about social change there. Now, you say she she died in 64. Yeah, August 64. August August 4th, I think, 1964. So it's been a while since her death. So she's obviously, we're still talking about her today. She's had quite the legacy. Can you perhaps summarize or try to put in what her work and legacy are, especially in relationship to Southern literature? So it's really interesting. O'Connor is sort of the inverse of a lot of her peers in the sense that, you know, she didn't have like a big national bestseller. And yet her legacy has grown so much since she died. You know, she talks about how there would be no biographies of her because her life was so boring. She says, you know, she has this kind of famous quote that there won't be a biography of her and that, you know, the most interesting thing that ever happened was she was on the news when she was five for teaching a chicken how to walk backwards. And yet, you know, her stories of just, you know, so many artists, so many readers have connected uh, with her work that she's just continued to kind of outpace and outsell and just grow in popularity. In 2010, the National Book Awards did the kind of they did the best of the National Book Awards. So they wanted to choose what was the best national book in the last 60 years. And it was the collected works of Flannery O'Connor. Posthumously, she she's won a lot of awards. A lot of artists, a lot of singers, a lot of people continue to be drawn and influenced by her work. So I've, I've done a lot of talks and, and just noticed how much she still shows up in pop culture. Um, there was just a, a documentary about her that came out last year. It's part of the uh, PBS American Masters series. I think there's another documentary being made about her. There's been multiple biographies of her. Brad Gooch's biography was a bestseller, um, a New York Times bestseller. So there's, you know, she's, she tends to, people are, are really drawn to her work. And we actually get a lot of tourism in, in Milledgeville, people that are just really influenced by her and, and want to come and see where, where she lived and wrote. So it's amazing the kind of lasting legacy that she's had, especially for someone who, during her lifetime, she published two novels and two books of short stories. Since then, we've published like a lot of other things by her. But, you know, it's not like she was publishing a book a week or something. But, you know, it, she's just had that type of influence over people. So why do you think people are drawn to her stories? Yeah, I think it's because she's, there's so much you can find in in Flannery O'Connor's work. She's tackling so many themes. You know, there's a lot going on, especially life after World War II and kind of the Cold War. You know, I mentioned that, that novel or that short story, The Displaced Person, that really kind of tries to capture what it's like. And people are still dealing with, you know, the Holocaust. But but I think, you know, there's the religious aspects of her stories. There's kind of the Southern grotesque. She writes in such a unique way. 
and with kind of a really unique sense of humor that she just captures so many different audiences. There's someone that I know who, who's a, a scholar and lives in Georgia who's written a lot about Flannery O'Connor and science fiction. You know, so it's, you know, she was, she was very interested in pop culture of the day, of the movies that were coming out. She was very, you know, a lot, so a lot of her stories come from books she was reading or, you know, stories from the AJC or, you know, what, what was happening um, life around her. So I think, yeah, there's just so many different themes and so many different ways to kind of get into her and her, her writing's just so unique that she just tends to draw a lot of different kinds of audiences. She's one of the few writers that has a popular, a really active popular audience. And then a lot of scholars are interested in her as well. So then, you know, a lot of, you know, the more work keeps being pushed about her, which just helps her sales. And so, and I, I can't remember offhand, but I want to say she is the fifth most anthologized um, American writer and her short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, is the fourth most anthologized short story, or it's the inverse. She's either the fourth and it's the fifth. But anyway, like her her stories get anthologized. And I think that, you know, a lot of your know, books on short stories include Flannery O'Connor, and that kind of helps keep her legacy alive as well. Of course, of course. It, it's interesting, as you say there, it's pop culture and scholarly work being done at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't tend to happen that way. I, I don't know why that is, but you know, she's she's definitely one of those rare authors who enjoys you know the respect of kind of all audiences. One of the things we we will host Flannery O'Connor conferences. We had one in in Savannah in 2021, and we get people who are not scholars. You know, they just are interested in Flannery O'Connor and they come to conferences to just to learn more about her. You know, we, we have through Georgia college, we have Andalusia Institute. And so the Andalusia Institute puts on a lot of programming, largely about Flannery O'Connor, other Southern writers as well, but, and, you know, their virtual programming gets people from all over the world who are, I think we've had people from six different continents who are just showing up and attending because they're interested in Flannery O'Connor. So, yeah, it's 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 really neat the, the, the kind of audience that she's able to draw. This is from the little town of Milledgeville, just mm-hmm. going global. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny. They'll all hear about, you know, these kind of buses that will come by or people coming from all over the world to come and visit her house. And, you know, when I first moved here, the first semester... We had somebody from Germany here and then someone from Spain here. And so it was like, okay, wow, you know, that, that really is true. Yeah, so. so as we finish up, do you have any final thoughts or questions that you wished I would have asked? No, I, I think the the one thing I would, in terms of promotion, is, is just you know, suggesting checking out our Andalusia Institute because we do try to do a lot to promote Flannery O'Connor and and we have a lot of different kinds of programming. So if you're interested and also, you know, just pick up the collected works of Flannery O'Connor and, uh, you know, check out some of these short stories. My favorite is A Good Man is Hard to Find, but there's some amazing ones in there. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate you, you talking about Flannery O'Connor, her life and her work. And of course, we encourage everyone to go check out the Andalusia Institute. We'll try to get that linked uh, in the description as well. Thanks. 
Absolutely. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.